Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Yeah, that's a different voice. That's Joe Shaw doing the recording this week. So we're kind much of less it. capable, much less capable too. Let's, we just hope that we just that. hope you're recording. That's <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're doing a, a sort of a special um, uh, Saturday uh, recording of the podcast this week because we had an opportunity to bring in a special guest. And with us today is Joe Shaw doing the recording. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us is senior reporter, Michael Wright. And um, Michael was able to arrange an interview with a subject of a story that he had uh, just written in last week's paper um, with Chris Callis. And Chris is a East Hampton native who um, has gone over to Ukraine to join the fight against Russia. So Chris, well, not, not literally join the fight, but he is doing some relief efforts over there. So um, Mike, do you want to talk a little bit about, about your story and about Chris and, and his backstory? Uh, yeah, so this is uh, this is Chris Callis. He is in Ukraine uh, working with a small group of uh, freelance humanitarian aid workers. Um, they are shuttling uh, medical supplies and other supplies from the Poland border into um, uh, areas around Kiev and uh, and then shuttling people back out to the Polish border, which uh, is quite an arduous journey and very dangerous because uh, as we've all seen on the news, the uh, humanitarian uh, evacuation routes have not been very consistently um, open. Uh, Chris uh, is 31 years old. Uh, he grew up in East Hampton, uh, went away to boarding school, uh, and has been a chef uh, for since his late teens, I believe. Uh, worked at a bunch of resorts uh, all around the world uh, and restaurants in New York City. And he owns a little cafe and bakery on um, Race Lane in East Hampton Village. What's the name, what's the name Hello, of that bakery? Hello Oma. Hello Oma. Okay. Yep. And uh, it's 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 super popular. And the way I found out about them was from people on uh, Nextdoor talking about it. And uh, it's a cute little place. It's been there about three years. Uh, it's gotten some very nice write ups, um, gourmet bakery and and coffee house. Um, and he uh, lives part-time in Ukraine, as uh, I'm sure he'll explain to us uh, momentarily. So his and wife is Ukrainian, right? His wife is, right. His wife is Ukrainian. Uh, they have been married five years. They have a six-month-old wow. uh, who he went back to help evacuate and then decided to uh, wade back into the country to, to help out, um, you know, his adopted second home. And his wife and I, is now, um, in Portugal. Is that correct? Uh, his wife is in is in Portugal now. Yes, exactly. But he still and, has and things. In Mike, you, I think in your story you said Chris said he decided to go back because as a businessman he knows logit logistics and he really wanted to sort of help get um, medical supplies in particular. It's he's he's basically trying to get medical supplies in through Poland and then uh, distributed to places in Ukraine that need those medical supplies. 
Yeah, yeah, and he's working. It you know, it's an interesting story. He's working with a with a group of again, you know, freelancers like him. Uh, most of them have either medical or military training, so you know they seem very well suited for being in in a in a in a war zone. And I asked him, um, you know, what what what's he what's he adding to the team? And he said that you know he's a he's a guy that knows how to get things done in Ukraine. Basically, he's got some. You know, he's spent five winters there now. He knows some people. He knows his way around. Uh, most of the people that he's working with are from the EU um, or Poland and uh, and some Ukrainians. And so he's just, uh, you know, yeah, he's been a logistics guy uh, for them, apparently. And, uh, and this like, is a 30, 31 year old guy with, with yeah, a young with a, family. Six, and... month, six month old daughter. Yeah. Wow. Just a, a remarkable sum. And he's the fact that he was willing to take the time uh, to talk to us from Ukraine uh, for the podcast this week really is, is a remarkable thing too, that we're, we're, we're really, really proud to be able to bring his voice to people so you can hear what's going on. Over there. So let's hear from Chris. So, um, yeah. so Chris, which side, are you on the Ukrainian side of the border right now? Oh yeah, no, we're really quite close to the capital. Uh, can't say oh. exactly where, um, just for our safety. And then we do travel a lot throughout the day and, and every day. So basically, you've been you and your team have been ferrying supplies and food and uh, medical um, medical supplies to various populations around um, around the country. Then, right? Uh, yeah, that's sort of the gist of it. I would say we're you know largely medical focused, um, and we do both medical training and direct medical aid, um, and we also try to bring supplies in especially on a smaller scale, because as you've seen, there's a lot of aid coming into the country, um, but that doesn't make it into every single corner uh, and, and person that it needs to get to. Chris, it's, it's Joe Shaw. When you're, when you're trying to get supplies to various points around the country, how much trouble do you run into? Is it difficult to do that? Um, or because you're carrying medical supplies, is that something that's a little easier to, to move around the country and, and distribute? Um, that's a good question. Uh, it's very tough. It's tough to get things just to Poland, to the border and over. Um, we've developed a pretty great network of people who are running supply shipments, um, you know, to and from, but the wait to go in and out of the borders is, is still quite long. Um, so we've managed to kind of circumvent that a little by using our local contacts, uh, but it can take anywhere, you know, from three to 10 days to get something from the Polish border to you know, central Ukraine, um, and then beyond there gets even more complicated. Hmm. How many people are involved in your effort? At any time, we're, we're a core group of about eight to 10, um, and that can vary up and down a little bit. And then we've got, like I said, a, quite a huge network of people, um, simply other volunteers that we've met along the way who are doing different things in various capacities. So we're able to call somebody up and ask them if they're in this vicinity or region or headed that way, if they can take a shipment, uh, you know, part of the way for us or we can meet them. And then they call us for, you know, help in exchange. So it's really just everybody working for free, crowdsourcing, you know, humanitarian aid at this point, which is kind of incredible. How, da how dangerous has it been for you? Uh, well, for, we for all, all, wear, of you, um, all of you. <laughs> yeah, we all, we all wear, um, you know, uh, uh, ballistic protection. Um, and keep as low profile as possible. Uh, but we have been, um, you know, at uh, and around gunfire that's directed at us or near us. 
uh, missile strikes, artillery strikes, um, pretty much, you know, as close as it gets without getting ourselves killed. Can you describe some of the scenes that you've seen? Like, what's the devastation been like that you've witnessed during your travels? Uh, I mean, pretty unimaginable. Uh, you definitely get, I think, pretty great coverage from the really, uh, you know, courageous journalists who are on the ground here still. And, you know, many of them who have also been injured or, uh, you know, unfortunately even uh, been killed in, in the action here. Um, but it's like nothing you could ever imagine or, or see. It's, it's what I read about in school as a child that World War II felt like. And now we're living it, you know, with our own eyes. Um, so it's it's quite shocking um, uh, to see, you know, personally. And I, I imagine that it's also the unpredictability of it. Like you're never sure, I guess, if you're on a safe road. You know, I think that would probably be the most terrifying aspect is that you're you think you're in an area that's been safe so far, and then out of nowhere, I guess anything can change in a moment, right? Uh, absolutely, yeah. We've had um, uh, one of our vehicles. Um, we had a, a few vehicles donated to us, and one of them was completely, almost completely destroyed. Uh, we were actually able to get it up and running again, um, but it was uh, ambushed while we were in a convoy. And um, I was in the lead vehicle. I was able to, um, you know, get, get the the rest of our team out, and then we were able to actually return. Uh, later and, and retrieve the vehicle, which was kind of amazing, but obviously a, a scary incident. Yeah. Chris, if I cross the line here and I ask a question that you can't answer, please make sure you tell me that. Um, but I'm curious, are you working with the Ukrainian military at all? When you say you're in a convoy, um, are you part of the, you know, is the military establishment supporting what you're doing or is this just your own convoy of, of vehicles? Uh, no, good question. Um, you know, we're solely working on our own as a humanitarian aid group. Um, so we're not affiliated uh, even with any particular NGOs or charities or governments whatsoever, um, you know, be that Ukrainian or, or American or anywhere else. Um, I brought a group of people into the country uh, who all have military and medical experience. And my goal was to use my local connections, knowledge, uh, we have property here, we have contacts here, and really try to find those people that are falling through the cracks of, uh, of all the aid that's going on here, because there is a lot. It's just a unmanageable amount of people. So um, we've really tried to focus on, on helping people who are not uh, getting you know, um, organized help elsewhere. And that usually happens through our local contacts of people in the neighborhood, in the regions, somebody tells somebody and then you know as a small group um you know i call it convoy it's a couple of our personal vehicles going there and and doing what needs to be done which is probably good it probably lowers your profile quite a bit to just be a couple vehicles as opposed to a, a big stream of them um, but but you it know, does yeah <laughs> but i also wanted to point out that you said your convoy came under attack you're being targeted is that correct uh, I would say anybody's a target, basically, um, whether it's, you know, the official military, whether it's the press, whether it's civilians. I think there's been enough coverage at this point that, um, you know, people have really seen that no matter who you are, you could be wearing medic gear, you could be in an ambulance, you could be in the press and you, you're really not offered any protection, you know, from, uh, you know, from the uh, invading forces. So. Um, it doesn't really worry us whether 
that's an issue or not. We just try to move as fast as we can and stay out of trouble. Uh, so far, nobody's been injured uh, severely, a few concussions, but um, you know, we've, we've escaped any major tragedies thus far. I'm curious, do you, have you interacted at all directly with any Russian soldiers? Not on a personal level, no, um, other than, uh, you know, having some shots fired at us, which yeah, I suppose is a form of interaction, right? But, um, <laughs> oh my. right, is it 90% of communication nonverbal? Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we're not, we're not that close. And also we're not equipped to handle that. We're not armed. Um, you know, we, we have no, uh, um, uh, no desire to, you know, enter the fight in that capacity. Uh, also, you know, carrying weapons makes you more of a target through, um, you know, uh, traveling through cities and towns that are still protected by the Ukrainian military um, because it, it obviously raises suspicion. It's already difficult enough to explain each time we, we go through a, a checkpoint who we are and what we're doing. Um, and, you know, we get searched all the time. And uh, that's great because they're really doing a, a good job and, and doing things professionally. Um, but obviously, it's, uh, if we had weapons, it would be a whole nother level of stress. So the people that you're, um, that you're assisting and that you're delivering um, your, the, the goods to, are these folks who, um, for some reason, weren't able to evacuate from their cities? Are they still trying to live in their homes? Are they living in bombed out homes? Just wondering who it is that, you, that you're being able to get your help to. Yeah, um, I mean, as you see, you know, millions of people have already left the, you know, um, my wife and child, you know, young child included. And the people who got out in the beginning, um, you know, were the ones who had the financial means to do so. Um, maybe the ones that felt a little more comfortable traveling or with language skills to do so. Um, and so what you have uh, in a lot of cases are people who either didn't have the financial means to flee or are, you know, obviously very tied to their community, which is common for you know, Ukrainians. Um, and uh, obviously a lot of wealth, as in America, is in your home. So if you leave your home, um, that could be occupied by Russian forces. It could just be destroyed. Um, who, who knows what could happen there? So uh, there, there's a lot of people, um, you know, in addition to the pride factor, uh, who, who either... Um, I decided to stay or didn't have the means to uh, to leave. Um, but these, you know, unfortunately land in the conflict zones, as you've seen the, uh, you know, Russian military actively targeting civilians, not just, uh, you know, military installations. Chris, um, maybe just give us a, a quick uh, background on, on how you wound up in the in the situation you are. You, you mentioned that your, your wife and child uh, left, but you were not actually in Ukraine when this started, right? Tell us how you how you wound up there and how you got connected with the people you're working with now. Yeah, I was originally um, going back and forth um, uh, this winter uh, as we normally do with our lives. Um, and my wife had stayed for an extended period with our child. Um, you know, we have a home here um, and and a base, uh, you know, a, a base of comfort, our family, our friends. So I traveled back to New York um, at the end of December probably. And um, when I started to see things heat up 
in the region, um, you know, I, I asked her to get on a plane as soon as possible. And uh, I flew to Germany and we met there. Um, it was actually one of the last flights that they got out before they started closing the airspace. Um, and, uh, you know, from there we traveled through Europe to, you know, get to a little more safer, comfortable place. Uh, and at some point in that time, we had a discussion and I told her that I, I really felt like I needed to go back. You regretted that decision at all, Chris? <laughs> uh, you know, it's been very stressful on our family for obvious reasons. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, my wife's parents are still here. I consider them my parents as well. Um, we have been doing things that I feel have been really helpful and the, the gratitude that we've seen from people has been incredible. Uh, I only wish we could do more. Um, you know, no regrets about going, um, but obviously I haven't been you know, severely injured or anything like that. Uh, it, it, it has absolutely been, you know, a strain on family life with a small child and things like that. But, um, you know, my wife has supported my decision so far and you know, we're going to uh, really try to keep this going until either we're not effective or, you know, hopefully we win. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. Carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. I wonder, Chris, just quickly, I'm not knowing a lot about Ukrainian politics. I wonder, you know, being so familiar with the country, if you and your wife saw this coming um, with Russia having gone into Crimea back in what was it, 2014, as somebody who's got who's on the inside, what, you know, would the, was it pretty much assumed that at some point this was going to happen and were people sort of not surprised when it did? Uh, so, you know, for me, I'm not in any way trained to discuss these topics, but I can give you my personal point of view, or at least my feelings on, on the subject. Um, and, you know, having said that, um, uh, the unfortunate thing about the invasion in 2014 is um, having lasted for eight years, it, it sort of desensitized people to what was going on as it, as it happens anywhere, as it happened, you know, in the U.S. with Afghanistan and other things like that. Um, so when things started heating up at the end of this year, uh, I think the general sensibility among people is that it's just another, you know, scare tactic, nothing's really going to happen. And, um, you know, the country uh, and the leadership, they did do a very good job of trying to keep the population calm, uh, because you see that that panic certainly doesn't aid anything in these situations. But maybe they did a little bit too good of a job doing that. Um, uh, you know, we had some friends of ours in Kharkiv, which uh, was one of the first cities uh, to come under serious attack. And we, you know, asked them if they'd like to, 
you know, move uh, further into the country to one of our apartments, you know, a little further away from the border. And, um, you know, they still didn't feel like that was necessary. Um, uh, on our part, we were trying to get our family and extended family out of the country as, as soon as, um, you know, the very beginning of, of 2022. But everyone was reluctant to leave. And even uh, our, you know, my parents-in-law uh, are still here, even though we could, we could get them out. So, um, yeah, it's, I think it was a little bit of complacency with the ongoing war for so many years, a little bit of the leadership trying to keep people from panicking. Um, but, uh, you know, also on the larger level, just this unimaginable scale of war that we haven't seen for, uh, you know, uh, decades. Mm-hmm. Chris, I'm curious, you know, you're in contact with the Ukrainian people on a daily basis, I'm guessing, and we, we're all mm-hmm. watching from overseas and we're all just blown away by the, the courage and the, and the fortitude of, of the people in, in the circumstance they're in. Can you tell me that in your time there, do you see that waning at all? Is, is it fading? Do you think the, the, the morale is starting to change because it's continued for what, more than three weeks now? Um, you know, there's always a fear that in the early part of a, of a, of a conflict like this, you can keep up the morale uh, but it's but it's difficult as time goes on. What what are you seeing on the ground there? It's a great question. Um, you know, the Ukrainian people by nature are the ones who will. Uh, you know, if you're hungry, they will feed you. If you're cold, they will clothe you, even if it means taking something off of their own backs. Uh, you know, and and when people ask me why did I come over here, why you know am I doing what I'm doing? It's because these are the types of people that they are. Uh, really incredibly generous and strong. Um, uh, they're survivors as a people. Uh, and I would say continuing on, the morale is actually just getting stronger. They're getting you know, more organized. Um, people are, are really helping each other, whether it's local restaurants who have you know, turned into soup kitchens for people who need it or you know, feeding other volunteers and things like that. Um, it's, it's been, you know, an amazing experience of everybody pitching in and helping. Um, and, uh, again, in a way, you know, probably the last time we saw it was in America during world war II, when people started going off to war and, you know, everybody started pitching in to, you know, uh, uh you know, help, uh, in places that were needed and that's, what's going on here. So, uh, I don't see it waning anytime soon. In fact, just getting stronger, because the desire to survive and the desire to uh, have their borders respected um, is, is very, very strong. Can I, can I ask another question real quick? And I, we, we don't want to let you go mm-hmm. here pretty soon, because sure. I know um, it's, it's not the safest thing in the world to even be interviewing you right now uh, the way we are. Um, I'm curious about the, the, uh, the ethnicity of Ukrainians and Russians fighting. It almost seems from the outside like it's almost a civil war of of sorts where brother against brother i mean can you talk a little bit about the the whether ukrainians and russians can you know i've heard in the propaganda both that that it's you know the propaganda from each side sort of either emphasizes that russians and ukrainians are the same or emphasizes that there's a big difference. What, can, you draw, can you shed any light on that for me from, from having lived 
in the country? Yeah, absolutely. Having lived here for, you know, the past five years, um, there's a, obviously a couple, uh, um, uh, there's, a, there's a couple ways that people here view that. Uh, largely, there's not animosity between the everyday Russian and the everyday Ukrainian. Um, there is obviously the country pride, but if they were not at war, they're generally quite friendly to one another. Um, and many Ukrainians and Russians uh, either cross the borders of one another's countries for work, for travel, for, um, you know, even for concerts and events, the things that, you know, we, we do every day. Um, so it, it's not as if um, the two cultures are so distinctly separate, although, you know, each one does have their own unique qualities. Um, but in general, I would say that uh, this war is really being put out by one or a couple top people. Um, and as you've seen the protests and demonstrations in Russia, um, it's not widely supported. Um, and, you know, if anything, there's more things in common than they than they have different. Chris, I think it's remarkable what you're doing over there. And I think we're all, you know, I, I've, I've said this many times that, that this, this war matters so much to us locally. And I think you're now another connection we all have locally uh, to what's going on over there, you and your family. And uh, we just thank you for taking some time with us and, and we wish you safety and, and, and everything you're doing over there. We hope you continue to do what you're doing and are effective in doing it. And, and we hope you don't have to do it for much longer. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're really just here helping out a little. It's the Ukrainian people who are doing all the heavy lifting. And, and those, those are the real heroes here. Um, and, you know, also to the journalists, to the people here on the ground, to the people, uh, you know, like you guys there uh, who are keeping the news coverage and the focus on what's going on, because we all know how quickly the news cycle can change. And it's, it's so vitally important to have access to good information. So it's, it's very much appreciated what you all are doing. Um, and uh, hopefully we can catch up in a couple of weeks and yeah. uh, give you some is updates. There, is there a way that people can, uh, people here can help your, uh, help out your group specifically? Donation? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, yeah, we've had, uh, you know, we've been entirely self-funded um, for the last three weeks as, as we've been here, but obviously that can only go to a certain length. So we set up a site as a lot of our friends also wanted to help out uh, called volunteerua.com. Um, you know, monetary donations are accepted um, if you have connections to shipping things over, um, you know, such as, uh, you know, medical supplies or other things like that. Um, we can sort of help with the logistics and, and make that happen. Um, and then if monetary donations are not possible, you know, we encourage everybody just to contact your government representative and let them know how you feel, you know, protest, do whatever you can. It doesn't have to cost any money. Uh, but, um, you know, for the people in America, you have a voice, you know, use it. It's really important. And that's, that's why our country is the way it is. Chris, we, I hope it, I hope in the coming weeks, we can, we can do this every once in a while. I, I think it, it's crucial to hear real voices that people can connect with. And, and I think that that will translate into, into support for your organization. And, and just, I just think it's essential for, for making that connection. I, I think if hearing your voice coming from Ukraine is just really powerful. It's really powerful just for us, I think, 
uh, doing what oh, you're doing. Thank you guys. Um, yeah. It's, it's super helpful. Any bit of news coverage. I mean, I, you know, I almost say I hate the news. I, you know, I love the news. I love that, that it, it shines a light on what's going on in the world, but like, obviously talking with journalists and doing it like I, which I'm doing all the time is, is tough when you're also, you know, 6am to 7 or 8pm every day, just running, trying to stay alive. Um, but I do it because it's, you know, it does make a difference. What you guys are doing is, is huge. Uh, so I, I sincerely, sincerely appreciate that. Um, you know, it, it's, it actually does save lives, believe it or not. The more people who are aware of what's going on, the better chance we have to stop this thing. I appreciate you saying that, but uh, what we're doing is a, a marginal compared to what you're doing. Just keep it up. We're really proud of you and, and we'll do everything we can to help out. So Chris, how Thank do you, you say, how do you say strength to Ukraine and Ukrainian? <laughs> uh well usually there's uh i mean there's the saying slava ukraine and then you know there's a there's a reply i'm sorry i'm exhausted right now i can't remember it um five years <laughs> living okay. here i don't know much of the language um it's like harium ukraine or harium i'm sorry i'm just like we'll look it up and get yeah i forget <laughs> and how about, i can send about... i can send it to you i, I <laughs> How about Putin head? I've seen that several yeah. times. How do you say that out loud in Russian? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Uh, you guys definitely feel free to, you know, if you if you want to talk to like some Ukrainians here, I can definitely connect you as well. Like, you know, um, they could help you out all that. Yeah. I, sorry, I'm yeah, I'm ashamed yeah, to say which... like my my Ukrainian is is very very basic phrases sometimes, and even not that, but. Yeah, let's put a pin so. in that it's better than mine follow up. <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> right, but you know that's the funny thing, thing. like it, there's no animosity here you know they just want to they just want to survive that's it it's like it's really like you know it's really like there's not hatred in the ukrainian people they're not made of that and that's why you see them like treating the russian soldiers so much better than they, they treat the ukrainian prisoners you know it's unbelievable because in so many of these international conflicts, it's complicated. It's really complicated. There are two sides. And this is one of those rare times when it just doesn't seem very complicated. It's really yeah. simple. And, and I think that clarity really helps here. Um, yeah, well, let's hope it ends soon. That's all. Absolutely. I yeah, well absolutely. Thank so. you. Thank you for your time. Chris. Thank you all. Really. Yeah, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Stay safe. Stay, stay safe. Stay over safe. There. Absolutely. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. 
Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.